All right, good morning, good morning. I'm Pastor Eddie, one of the pastors here at NCS, and it's my pleasure this morning to preach to you the word of the Lord. Um, tomorrow, many of us maybe will celebrate Halloween, um, but there's something else that October 31st is known for. Some of us that uh, participated in the fall festival yesterday heard a little bit, but on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther, an Augustinian monk, university professor at the University of Wittenberg, he nailed this document known as the 95 Theses upon the doors of that university in protest of the selling and purchasing of what were called indulgences. And indulgences were the um, granting by the church of the remission from the punishment of sins. So, the, you know, sometimes partial, sometimes it's you could pay for even the sins of your relatives in what's known as purgatory and get them out into heaven and you can um, pay for these. It's don't have to do anything but pay. And this kind of this moment, October 31st, 505 years ago, sparked what's known as the Reformation of the church. It marked a clear moment where um, not just Luther, but other theologians, other pastors, other churches decided, you know what, the church needs to go back to the gospel, go back to what the Bible says the gospel is. Now, one of the key understandings of Luther comes from his reflections upon a key passage, Romans 1.17, which we heard Pastor John read for us this, uh, just a minute ago. In particular, he wrestled with the term righteousness of God. He even went as so far as to say he hated that phrase, righteousness of God. This is what he says. I sought long and knocked anxiously for the expression, the righteousness of God blocked the way. Because I took it to mean that the righteousness whereby God is righteous and deals righteously in punishing the unrighteous. My situation was that although an impeccable monk I stood before God as a sinner troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence that my merit would assuage me. Therefore, I did not love a righteous and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. But as he continued to wrestle with this, finally he came to understand and had a breakthrough, and this is what he writes. Then I grasped that the righteousness of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy God justifies us by faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn, to have gone through open doors into paradise. And as I had formerly hated the expression, the righteousness of God, I now began to regard it as my dearest and most comforting word. And so here in this gospel, as he meditates upon uh, Romans, he rediscovers the gospel, and in turn helps the church to rediscover the gospel from which it uh, came from, sparking the Reformation. And I thought it would be appropriate, as October 31st is tomorrow, to pay homage, tip our hat to such the reformer by preaching on this text. So, um, before I continue, let me lift up another prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you raise up saints um, in our past that uh, can re 
discover the gospel, the gospel that's always been there, and bring the church, bring it, your people back to you. May you do the same thing for us today. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. So, the title of the sermon, Rediscovering the Gospel, got three points. Rediscovering the promises of the gospel. Rediscovering the preaching of the gospel of God. And rediscovering the power of the gospel. Okay? So, rediscovering the promises of the gospel. In the beginning, um, this is a letter that Paul writes. Paul is the very first word here. He lets himself known as the writer, and he writes it to the Christians in Rome. We see that in verse 7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. He has yet to visit this church. One of the most churches uh, that he writes his letter to, he personally plants them as his great missionary. But the church in Rome, he did not plant. He has yet to even go there. And as it would have it, um, he, he's, he's just prevented in his whole life. He does end up in Rome, but um, in prison as he is um, persecuted for preaching the gospel. Now, all of Paul's letters, um, even the short ones, are considered long letters, even for, uh, for that time. But Romans is the longest, over 7,000 words. It's a heavy long letter it's a it's a book that i myself have trembled before as i read it there are concepts in there that even now i still struggle with i'm wrestling with um and so um certainly it'll be difficult for even the original readers to read this heavy stuff without all the wealth of commentaries that we have today and all the saints that have um, expounded upon this text heavy text but he has this purpose to go there so that he can eventually send his mission on to Spain. He's um, uh, done missioning work all throughout Asia, and now he sets his sights to Spain in hopes that Rome, which is already now established church, will partner up with him in the gospel to go to Spain. And so he needs to explain himself. He has to describe the gospel. He has to make sure that they're on the same page. And so that's probably why this is probably the longest. So he's very clear as to what the gospel is, what he stands for, who he is. And because of that, we get a great picture of what the gospel is. And in this first heading, these first few verses, we see that the gospel is, in fact, not a new gospel. It's the gospel that's already been there. It's the gospel of the Old Testament. The gospel that Paul lives for and is willing to die for, and in fact does die for, is the gospel that was promised in the Old Testament. Verse 2, it says, I am set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand, where? Through his prophets in the Holy Spirit scriptures okay so the old testament is looking forward to christ it's prophesying it's promising this messiah and jesus christ finally comes and he says so much verse three concerning his son okay all those promises all those prophecies that are pointing to the messiah that's his son who was descended from david this is it this is your Messiah, he is Jewish, he is an Israelite, 
and the Jesus Christ that you crucified, this is him. Even associating the word Lord. It's not just any generic Lord, some more powerful, but the Lord um, associated with God's name, Yahweh. So Jesus Christ, our Lord, Jesus Christ is God, not just God, but the God, the God of the Old Testament. Jesus Christ is him. Jesus himself preaches this very same thing, corroborates what Paul is saying. Paul doesn't just get this out of thin air, but he himself meets uh, Jesus Christ. And Jesus says this, um, after he's resurrected, um, he meets two men on the road to Emmaus, and he says this in Luke. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus says, all this Old Testament right here, it's all about me. Okay, it's not something new. He says, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. The idea of relating righteousness of God, which we see in verse 7, 16 and 17, and salvation is not original to Paul, but he draws upon um, the language of the Old Testament. In particular, Isaiah 40 to 66 is universally identified as a key source for Paul's language and theology. Just read, uh, I- I- there's so many um, instances, but I'll just look at Isaiah 51. And in Isaiah 51, here are just a couple verses that connect those two ideas, the righteousness of God and salvation. All right, so my righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out. Righteousness, salvation. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Again, righteousness of God, my righteousness, God speaking, and my salvation put together um, as a unit. And then finally, but my righteousness will be forever and my salvation to all generations. So this idea of my righteousness, my salvation, God being, are linked together in the Old Testament. They're pointing forward. Even Luther, as he he preached through the Psalms and he looked at Psalm 21 and said, this is talking about Jesus Christ. Something that I think maybe we all maybe intuitively understand or maybe, but it's not necessarily always explicit. And so maybe when we hear it, it kind of sounds weird. But the Old Testament saints were saved by the same faith in Jesus as we are saved here today. It's the same gospel. It's the same gospel. They look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. We have the benefit, have always seen the power of, and the promises and the f- prophecies fulfilled in Jesus Christ, culmination, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. How, of course, um, it's better now, and we can never go back. Um, we cannot now just only rely on the Old Testament, because now we have that fulfillment in Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of substance, but more of a degree. B.B. Warfield, a theologian, said this about that dynamic. The Old Testament may be likened to a chamber richly furnished but dimly lighted. The introduction of light brings into it nothing which was not in it before, but it brings out into clear view much of what is in it but was only dimly or even not at all perceived before. Thus, the Old Testament revelation of God is not corrected 
by the fu- fuller revelation that follows it, but only perfected, extended, enlarged. Okay, so the Old Testament is not something different from the New Testament, but is one in the same. It is a culmination. It builds the foundation which the New Testament fulfills. The gospel has, is and has always been about Jesus Christ. And quite simply, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? This is what Luther rediscovered 500 years ago. This is what Paul himself rediscovered and brought forth what the Old Testament is really talking about. The gospel is about what God did, what God does, and what God will do. It's about God. It's about him. And what he does to reconcile us, unrighteous man, with him, the righteous God. How does he do this? He upholds his love and his justice, his love by sending his son, Jesus Christ, out of his love for us to take our place. And he upholds his justice by smiting his wrath upon his own son, Jesus Christ. Someone had to take the punishment, and so he sends it upon Jesus instead of us that placed our faith in him. For For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, we are rediscovering the promises of the gospel, but leads me to the preaching of the gospel of God. Rediscovering the preaching of the gospel of God. If we look back to um, our passage, what is very clear when you read this is God. Like God just comes out at you. So yeah, Paul does introduce himself, but after that, it's all God or Christ Jesus, a servant of Christ Jesus, um, set apart for the gospel of God concerning his son, uh, to be the son of God, spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, on and on. I counted in these 17 verses with God, Jesus Christ, Son, and Spirit, all those referring to God, the Trinitarian God, 16 times. So almost one per verse um, right here. It just is permeating God. Not himself, not who he is, not what he has done, not his own experiences, not his opinion, not how great he is. No, God. And then those are just the nouns, but then if you take a look at the verbs and look at the object and the subjects um, of those verbs, subject being the one who does the verb, right, the person who does the action, we see, again, God being the actor. We see called. We see set apart, promised, declared, received grace, bring about obedience of faith, called to belong to Jesus Christ, loved. These all have the God as the subject. God is the actor. He's the main character. Paul understands that. Everyone else is just supporting actors. We're just props. We're just things on the side. This is God's world. We're just living in it. Truly, we can say that about God. The gospel that Paul preaches is the gospel of God. Of God, what God did, what God does, what God is going to do. 
Hopefully this is basic. If this is the first time you've heard the gospel, it's about God. But we all have to be reminded over and over again, it's about God. God. Not about you. Not about what you do. Not about your experiences. Not about where you be, where you've been. Now, this is for everyone who believes, it says. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. This is the gospel. And this is where maybe some of us can also get confused because we forget, oh yeah, it's, wait, is it about God or about me? Is it about God or is it about me? Is it about believing in God or believing in me? Oh, I believe in myself, right? We love that stuff, that positivity stuff. We love it. We soak it up. We love reading those books. We get confused. Yes, I got the power. I can do it. I'm going to make it. It's all within me. I got it. I'm good enough. We love that stuff. We soak. Me too. We're, these are bestseller books. But you got to know it's a different book almost every other year. But it's the same stuff because we realize the other one didn't quite work. And we're back in the same stuff. New Year's is coming up, right? We do these resolutions. This year is going to be different. It truly is going to be different. But for a lot of us, it's not. It's not believing in yourself. It's believing in God. All right? This is, I'm not trying to be esoteric here. I think I was a little bit more too esoteric. My last sermon, talking about philosophy. This is just simple. It's about God. Believe in God, his righteousness. Believe in the righteousness that God provides in his son, Jesus Christ. And that is enough. Nothing has to be added to it. You don't add to it. It's just his righteousness. But also notice who Paul preaches to. So he preaches about God. The gospel of God, believe in God, but he also preaches to the Greek, the barbarians. Verse 14, I'm under obligation both to Greeks, to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. We are to preach this gospel of God to those around us, even if they never heard about God, even if they hate God. Even if they don't want to know about God, to everyone. But also, he says in verse 15, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Remember, in the very beginning, he says to the saints in to those called to be saints in Rome. So he's calling, talking to the Christians. So it's not even just to non-Christians, but it's to Christians. And I think if any of us has been Christian for even two, three days, we understand every single day we need to be preach the gospel to ourselves from others. We come every week to hear the gospel. We need the gospel every single day, even as Christians. It's not you become a Christian and then leave the gospel alone and move on to other better things. No, this is it. This is the main thing. This is our sustenance. This is our entree. This is the steak. This is it. Every day, we need the gospel. And it's the same gospel to everyone, right? Old Testament, this gospel. Ancient people, this gospel. New people, the gospel. Today, in 2000, 
22, the same gospel. We go into the future, let's say the world continues to exist in year 3000, guess what? It's going to be the same gospel. You end up living in Mars, same gospel. It's the same gospel. That's it. It's simple. Have you known God your entire life? Guess what? The same gospel. The same gospel of God. Rich, poor, Asian, African, European, American, mixed. It doesn't matter. That's the beauty of this gospel. It literally speaks into any context and has the same effect, the same power. Which is my last point. Rediscovering the power of the gospel. How is it the power of the gospel? Precisely because the gospel is not about you. It's a great joy. It's not about you. It's such a freedom. You don't have to be there for the gospel to be effective. No matter how good of a pastor we have here, no matter how great of a theologian this other person is about expounding, they only live on this earth however many years, and after that, they're done. And at the end of the day, this is more than some philosophy um, idea um, thing to be learned. It's transformative. The gospel of God is the only way to salvation. There's no other way. There's no other religions. It's not just one religion. We're all kind of going to the same thing. No. There's, they don't talk about this. No other religion has this where it's not about you. Where God, in his great mercy, offers up his son, his own righteousness for us, that we may rely upon his righteousness. There's no one else that's saying that. No matter how messed up you are, it's so freeing to know it's not about you. I know there are people here on especially in New York City, you guys typically are very successful. You guys are good at what you do. You guys are hard workers, but it could bring a lot of anxiety. It could mean like you're trying to make sure that every part of your life, every part of that job or that project goes as planned and you stress over it. But you cannot possibly think about every variable that happens so inevitably there's this or that. Or maybe it is successful. But now you get proud. You get arrogant. You start to think people need you. It's about you and your strength and your great administrative skills or your great managerial skills. And God goes to the foreground. But then there's another project and another project and another. And it's never ending. It's never going to stop. There's never enough time to just sit still with the word. We're so busy. Maybe many of us have heard this gospel and we've heard it and we're like, it's great and all, but you know, um, Pastor Eddie, in today's day and age, the gospel is outdated. There's so many things now that we have to deal with. It's not the same anymore. All this identity stuff and um, everything else going on. This gospel just doesn't have it anymore. It's archaic. It's foolish. It's ineffective. 
you know what we need? We need an upgrade. We need a Gospel 14 Pro Max Ultra Pro something. We need something better. This is like running out of batteries. It's slow. It's not updated. It doesn't quite hit the same way anymore. For many of us, maybe, we have become like the church in Ephesus in Revelation where we have forgotten that first love. May we cry out to God the words of Psalm 51, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Now Paul, in, in the letter to Corinthians, he acknowledges that to the world, this gospel seems foolish. It seems weak. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are perishing, but to us who are perishing. Oh, wait, let me read it from my Bible. I think I, that's a typo. <laughs> Good thing I have my Bible. All right, 1 Corinthians. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, that's what I was going to say, is the power of God. And he goes on to say, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's foolishness, it's ridiculous to think that God would offer up his son for us. Why would he ever do that? doesn't make sense. Or on the flip side, what are you saying I'm not good enough? What are you saying I'm worthy of being punished? I don't have any redeeming qualities? That's garbage. No way. I cannot deal with that. And therefore, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Have we grown ashamed of this gospel? is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. No matter how good you are, you cannot bring any type of change, transformation into anyone else. Even yourself. We know it. I alluded to the New Year's resolutions. You know, you might think of a couple, maybe, but not all of them. You know when you look yourself in the mirror, you are not where you want to be. You could be, but you can't. We fall short. We fall short. But the gospel isn't dependent upon us. It's dependent upon the perfect life, death, and resurrection. It's Jesus Christ. Therefore, it doesn't matter. The gospel changes people in all facets of our life, our minds. It changes what we think about. It changes what we dream about. It changes our hearts. It changes our desires. It changes how we interact with people. It changes how we interact with this world. Our view on life. How we reason even. Our orientation in our lives. It completely transforms us and changes us. Only God, the gospel of God can do this. Ultimately, is only the gospel that reconciles us to God. That's it. Only, at the end of the day, that's the only thing that really matters. 
to spend eternity with our creator, the Lord of the heavens and the earth, as his child. That is the God where we can declare our Father in heaven loves me. We need to rediscover the gospel in our lives every single day. We need to be able to declare with Paul, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Just to conclude, Martin Luther, he loved the Bible. He was wrestling with it. He was reading it. He was teaching it. He was a bright, bright young man. And he was also a great translator. For a long time, the Bible was really only in the original languages and Latin. And so for many people, they just could not read the Bible. And it was up to the priests to be able to explain and to read it. And so for the common person, they really didn't understand what the Bible said. They just had to trust what the priest said. But he translated the Bible into German. And he opened the door for the Bible now to be translated over, what, 3,324 languages. We have greater access to the Bible now than ever before in all of history. We have it in our apps, different things. You version has so many different versions. I have however many Bibles in my home alone. If you need a Bible, you can get a Bible for like five bucks. It's really cheap. There are so many. You, you have no excuse not to have the Bible. And yet... How busy are we to read the Bible? How often do we treasure this? How often do we read it? Let us honor the tradition of the reformer Martin Luther who gave us access. You don't have to rely upon me anymore. You don't have to rely on Pastor John. You don't have to rely on anyone but Jesus Christ and him alone. You have direct access. Why are you wasting that? Why are we wasting that? I myself struggle daily to come to the Bible. But when I do, I know how succulent and great that morsel is to my soul. And I never, ever regret opening and reading the Bible. I hope we do the same together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you gave us the gospel, and it's timeless. It is eternal. It doesn't matter what circumstances we're in. It doesn't matter what we're dealing with. It doesn't matter who we are, how we're born, what's, what, what, makeup we have the gospel speaks to us you are great you are eternal you are awesome help us lord to commit to you and you alone may we place our faith and be overjoyous for that grace that you offer us in the name of jesus christ we pray amen at this time we will